We continue our study in, in Genesis uh, this evening once again, and really good to get back to the basics of what God has revealed, and just trying to establish good foundations, good understanding of uh, the world around us, and, and of course the amazing redemption story uh, brought about and implemented, executed uh, by God. So thank you once again for just joining me this evening. Uh, please bow your head as we just pray together. Lord, thank you for another day. We never want to take for granted the good gifts that you give to us. Lord, many things that we enjoy, a place to live, uh, food in our stomachs, friends and family. And we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for our local church. Thank you that we're able to find fellowship and that we're able to meet together in learning and growing and encouraging, spurring one another on in our uh, service to you and also in our growth of our knowledge of you. And so once again this evening, just praying that this uh, time in the Word would uh, be of great benefit to us, but Lord, leading us, always leading us to honor you more and more giving us a real sense of awe, a growing sense of awe for your name and for your glory. And so thank you for this evening. Pray for your spirit as he works in and among us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I do want to pick it up in Genesis chapter 2. Having left off last time, just the first study from Genesis 1. And uh, going to look at quite a big section this evening, right through to the end of chapter 3. I'm not going to read uh, the entire chapter, but I did uh, the entire two chapters. I thought I would at least uh, let us read chapter 3 uh, together. A well-known passage, but a passage that we ought not to forget. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, 
Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife, wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Let's leave the reading up to that point. Uh, going to be discussing a lot broader than that passage, but uh, an important passage for us just to be thinking about. And if I can just ask you to remember uh, last time, a very encouraging Genesis chapter 1, where we saw something of the beginnings and just some of the details uh, communicating something of God's good and beautiful creation. We saw that God was pleased, repeatedly, repeatedly pleased with what he created. And we have that statement, God saw that it was good. And even more interesting, that God was doubly pleased with his creation of man on the sixth day, in saying that it was very good. And so the first chapter of Genesis uh, ought to leave us feeling a sense of awe, at the greatness of the power of God, uh, the good intentions and, and purposes of God in creating all that exists, and sitting back, responding, I hope you responded in this way, what an amazing God, what a powerful God, what an amazing work of creation. But then, thinking on Everything comes in a context. We receive this passage, these passages, the Bible, in our own context. And you begin to think, I certainly would have thought and did think, well, what happened to God's good creation? Uh, that which we said was good and very good, what happened? Because the true and honest opinion and reflection is that things are tough. In this world, your life and life of those around you, uh, suffering abounds, uh, disappointment, brokenness, dysfunction, loss, all these difficult things are everyday realities around us and even among us in our families. Everything seems an uphill battle in the world, in whether it be in the local context of, of the home, your own personal life in the city, further afield in the country and even the world. Uh, people are sick and, and, and perhaps you're listening to this tonight and, and you're sick 
or you're amongst those who are grieving because you've lost a particular and special loved one and your heart is sore. Uh, you disappointed perhaps, somebody else disappointed, just expectations you have have been shattered, uh, you're feeling the loneliness of, of life, and, and perhaps even some among us at that point of death, of, of dying. And so if we're going to be honest, and we must be honest when we come to the Scriptures, you would rather say, or you could rather say, God's creation is dreadful. You have every right to ask that question. And what I want to consider tonight as we try and understand this passage, what happened to God's good creation? I have no doubt. And remember that this uh, book, Genesis, originally is addressed to the Israelites who are wandering in the desert. They have been just recently liberated from slavery, 400 years as a nation, suffering under the hand of, of Pharaoh, living very, very difficult uh, times, uh, now liberated, but, but in the desert, wandering around. Uh, it was hard. Uh, memories back in Egypt of the young boys that were drowned in the Nile, Terrible journey in the desert. Can you imagine the burning sun and just the blazing uh, and agonizing thirst? And in fact, Moses gives us a description just that sums it up. The experience in Deuteronomy 8 verse 15. The great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground. That, that describes their context. That's their life. And so Genesis chapter 1 in and of itself has a message, but it's a message that continues to unfold to try and understand and reveal to us, God revealing to us the devastation that then took place. We do know that almost all of those who left Egypt died in the desert. Um, it was a torturous journey and as one author described their journey it was a journey dotted with graves so the question does pop into one's mind it lingers in one's mind where does all this brokenness come from what happened to God's good creation so to answer this question we're going to consider chapter 2 and, and chapter 3 of, of Genesis and uh we're going to zoom into some of the detail. God gives us some specific detail regarding the creation uh, and, and what unfolded uh, with particularly those uh, first people, Adam and Eve. We zoom into the detail of God's creation in uh, what God had done. So I want to begin, and, and, and in some senses going back a little bit, I want to go back to what I want to call uh, paradise established. And we see this again, even at the beginning of chapter 2. So we saw in, in, in chapter 1, all of God's creation. But now what do we see in the opening scene? Again, we see that the world is like a desert, verse 5. Uh, God had not yet sent rain and there, was no, there were no humans to care for the earth at this point in time. We are then told that God formed the man. And, and again, just again, thinking about that word formed. Uh, formed as imagining a potter 
lovingly forming a new clay jar. That's, that's the picture. That's the, the sense in which you ought to understand that. The man is not God. He's an earthling uh, made from the earth. Man is frail. He's made from the dust of the ground. The Lord breathed into his nostrils what is called the breath of God. It gives him life. And he's God's special creature. The man became a living being. Perhaps another time we can uh, delve into the meaning of the significance of being made in the image of God. But certainly set apart as separate from the rest of of, of creation. Set apart as a creature that uh, can and could at that particular point in time commune with God. There are more details given. Uh, God placing this man in a special lush garden in verse 8. Uh, it's the Garden of Eden. That's how we've got to know it. Somewhere, uh, we're not quite sure exactly where, but uh, present-day Turkey or Iraq. And it gives us some sort of uh, indication there by the various rivers that are mentioned. And then we read in verse 9, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. Now, can you imagine? This is idyllic. This is paradise. This is what any one of us would long for. The garden is a true paradise. Uh, paradise on earth. Uh, it's a special dwelling place um, of God on earth. And so we, 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 we must take that in. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. It's a place where man can commune with God. There's this intimacy, there's this connectedness. Man can enjoy the many, many good gifts from the hand of God. And, and, and there's noted in verse 9, there is even a tree, uh, the tree of life, uh, a fruit that could keep him living forever and ever. Also take note that the Lord provides the man with meaningful work in verse 15. And so the man is given purpose and significance. This isn't just about lying on the beach and, and loafing. This is about uh, meaningful living, uh, accomplishing and achieving and, and succeeding in uh, the oversight of, of this that God has provided and, and placed man uh, in to be a good steward of. And the, and the good gifts abound. God even tells them in verse 16, the command, you may, sh- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What a blessing. What a wonderful, wonderful place. God gives so much. One prohibition. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall die. This is also good. Because God treats man in contrast to the animals. Now listen to this. As a moral agent, man can decide at this particular point in time to obey God and to do so willingly. It's free to choose. An intimate relationship with God in paradise with all these good gifts that surround him, characterized by a life of obedience and trust, or, or disobedience and death. Well, God, God's good gifts continue to be identified. 
uh, as we unfold the pack, uh, passage, verse 18, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make for him uh, a helper fit for him. Animals are great companions. Hey, but nothing, nothing can be like that which God provided uh, for Adam in the wife that he made for him as Eve. Someone of equal value, uh, God makes woman. And Adam is ecstatic, understandably, he's ecstatic. Uh, This is, at last, uh, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And it's important for us to notice at this particular time that in verse 25, both are naked and feel no shame. They're innocent like little children who are at play. It's a perfect marriage. It's a perfect situation in a perfect home. His partners bound together in a permanent relationship. Verse 24, they're in perfect harmony and peace with each other uh, in every way sexually and, and they have no reason for shame. And, and so we need to see, we need to see at that particular point in time, it is paradise in every sense of the word. It's the garden of the Lord. It was very good. Sadly, tragically, stupidly, foolishly, it changed. It was soon to change. A new character enters this heavenly setting, moving us to our second point, and paradise is now under threat. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, chapter 3, verse 1, and he is Satan who speaks through the servant. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, do do, do you see the subtlety here? Questioning that which God had said and revealed, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See, he twists and, and, and distorts what God actually said, completely ignoring all the other good gifts everything else in paradise, but he makes, he makes this one prohibition sound unreasonable to Eve. And the woman, she's drawn into the conversation, and she responds with a little bit of exaggeration and perhaps embellishment, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. You see how she adds a little bit there? not touching the tree, in, in a sense, sp- speculating, were, were, was she almost already seeking to justify the unreasonableness of God to herself? Well, Satan takes the opportunity and basically call God, calls God a liar. In verse 4, you will surely not die. And then he goes on to undermine God's motives, uh, suggesting they can do much better. They can be like God. You see what you've got, but you can actually have much more. For Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. And so with that, uh, Satan leaves. Uh, temptation is now before Adam and Eve. And they must now deal with this temptation. And depending on how they respond, 
there is of course now this looming reality that paradise is under threat. Which moves us on to the third uh, point of this uh, message here this evening, paradise lost. We get to the climax of the story. The woman contemplates the temptation and it's recorded in slow motion. There's great detail. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. Do you see some of the detail? The tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Adam is silent. He had received that command directly from God not to eat. He should have stopped her. He could have stopped her. Instead, he allows his wife to disobey God's command and he participates and transgresses in disobedience himself. Underlying, the creature made from dust desires to be God. You see the foolishness, the stupidity, lunacy? God's creature no longer trusts God's goodness. Sin enters God's perfect paradise. There's now rebellion in the kingdom. And then we notice, and there are a number of them, I'm just going to list them one by one, the results of their disobedience, the results of the fall, are, are immediately are immediately noticeable. The loss of childlike innocence to begin with. Verse 7. The eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Didn't bother before, but now that becomes an issue. So the perfect marriage is now broken down. Secondly, you notice innocence has been replaced by guilt and fear. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Before, communion with God. Intimacy. What more could they have wanted? It's broken. God is true to his word. Spiritually, they are dead. Absolute tragedy. The promise, this promise-making and promise-keeping God, thankfully, does not give up on this, on these distrustful and disobedient children. Verse nine, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And he said, "I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was, a, I was afraid. You see now, scared of God." Needs to be scared of God because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Well, guilt and fear opens the way to chaos. Verse 7, the eyes of both were opened, they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, and I'm reading the wrong verse, 
Because we see here that Adam tries to defend himself by pointing a finger at God. Did you see that? Blame shifting, blaming the woman. The woman then also blames the devil, the serpent. Neither of them is willing to take responsibility for their sin. Can you see the fracturing of relationships, the dysfunctional reality of relationships? And we need to see in the fourth instance that God keeps his word Sin must be punished. Sin will be punished. The Lord begins, and we have a description here of the various judgments, and I'll do them, uh, he does so in reverse order, the serpent, verse 14. Because you have done this, the Lord, uh, this cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, thus you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, it's the first time in the Bible we read about curse. It's not something we, we like to talk about, not like, something we like to think about. We prefer the word blessing. But understand that curse is the opposite of blessing. Curse is not nice. Curse is terrible. Curse is unpleasant. It's the opposite. And so God removes, God removes them from this blessing. Go speak about the woman. Where she should have been fulfilled as a mother, as a helpmeet to Adam. Now God says that she will experience pain in becoming a mother. Where she should have been ruling as a helpmeet alongside of her husband. Now her desire will be to rule over him and he will rule over her. And We know of course how true that is as we consider the world that we live in today. And so the consequence of pain in becoming a mother, the anguish of of struggle and dominance uh, that occurs and did occur in their marriage. What about the man? Well, God turns to Adam and he punishes him in his role as provider and head of the human race. Uh, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And that's what happened. This is painful judgment. No more paradise with plenty of food. Instead, thorns and thistle, drought and floods, famine and abundance. We, we see this. And meaningful work becomes tough grind. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. This will be the way life will be. This will be the order of things until the day that you actually die. Verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken it, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God keeps his word. God expels Adam and Eve from the garden. Verse 23, ensuring that access back into the garden is closed off. Verse 24, he drove out the man and, uh, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to God the way to the tree of life. And so we, we get back to the question. And it's a question that we started with. It's a good question that we ask. Uh, remember that as we study the scriptures, we, we constantly ought to be forming a world view, uh, an understanding of how we interpret the world, how we interpret our circumstances and the world around us. Why is it that in our present life we experience pain and toil? And tensions in marriage and enmity with, 
with, with the world. And then we die. The reason? Defiance of God's command in the garden resulted in paradise being lost. God's judgment of human rebellion is a reversal of the blessings of paradise. Banishment from the presence of a holy God. And so what does it introduce? Pain in childbearing? Strife for dominance in marriage? That's the big issue that couples struggle with. Thorns and thistles in our fields and gardens. Work becomes painful toil. And then death. Just all ends. Dust to dust. Which brings me to a fourth point. Is there any hope? We do need to adjust our worldview. There seems to be a lot of people out there promoting a message, a lot of people thinking that God somehow owes humanity something. Uh, God owes humanity nothing. Nothing. God could have, if he so desired, at that particular point in time, have terminated the physical and eternal life of Adam and Eve forever. But he did it. Is there hope? Are we given any clues? And, 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 and the, the very fact that they continue to live is, is, an, is an act of grace from the hand of God. We're going to focus on that next time we come to the next passage. God's loving action toward undeserving sinners already evident at this particular point in time. Just one aspect. It comes in the context of God cursing the serpent. He said, Curse it you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you'll go. Dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. They're going to be, they're going to be offspring. Offspring of the darkness and offspring of the light. Uh, offspring and, 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 you shall, and, and her offspring you shall bruise. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So in this action, God breaks this alliance between Satan and the woman, and instead promises that there will be a struggle between Satan's seed and her seed, her seed ultimately being the coming of Jesus, second person of the Trinity. And so history, as it unfolds, will consist of a long struggle between evil and good, light and darkness. Uh, but in the end, someone from the seed of the woman shall bruise your head You'll, and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is the seed. And we have a vantage point in history where we're able to look back and see that the seed of the woman was born. And the seed of the woman uh, lived a life on this earth, uh, lived a perfect life. But he died uh, at the hands of, of sinful men instigated by Satan. And it looked as if Satan had won. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Satan's victory turns to defeat. Paradise is regained. And so, dear friends, understand the world we're living in. 
Satan has been defeated. There is the continuing unfolding of God's grace. The redemption that Jesus, the seed, accomplished on the cross for sinful men and women is being applied into the specific lives. And we are given a picture. We're given a picture uh, of this in the book of Revelation where there will be people from every tribe, nation and language that are rescued. Not everyone, but certainly a huge number of people. And then we have a picture of this paradise that ultimately we enter into as believers, those who are uh, in union with Christ, those who are beneficiaries of his redeeming work, those who have repented of their sin and placed their trust in him. Listen to Revelation 22 verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree with the healing of the nations, no longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Isn't that something to anticipate? Something to look forward to? Revelation 22 verse 14. Blessed, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Are you one of those? I'm sure many of you are. You're a true believer. You face many struggles. You are facing struggles like me in this life. And as we navigate this journey, I just uh, have him fresh in my mind. We watched the movie of Pilgrim's Progress uh, just uh, a week or so ago anticipating the celestial city all things will be made new no curse no sin no death no illness no tears in the very presence with God enjoying the reality of who he is in worship and adoration so God bless you Uh, Lord we pray that you would give us a keen sense of anticipation for that day. But we off in the midst, Lord, oftentimes struggle. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, the antagonism, the many who are against Christ, the many, Lord, who mock you and revile you. Help us to be strong. Help us to be witnesses. May we know the strength of your spirit, trusting you, Lord, your word, all that you have said in your faithfulness, in your compassion and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. So just some questions again. If you are meeting in a group, uh, there they are. Please take note of them and uh, trust God be with you and bless you. Just thank God for his great grace to us who are undeserving sinners. Amen.